Hi, I'm Karen Crossley, and this is Rebuilding the American Dream, the student-athlete experience. In this podcast, we introduce you to leaders in college athletics who are shaping the experience of the student-athlete on and off the fields of play. We discuss the challenges and innovations affecting athletics and higher education, and how we can adapt to give student-athletes a strong foundation for their future. Today, I have the opportunity to speak with Dr. J.P. Barfield, Professor and Chairperson of the Department of Applied Physiology, Health, and Clinical Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. With over 25 years of experience in the adapted physical activity and sports fields, Dr. Barfield's work focuses on health-related and quality-of-life outcomes of adapted physical activity and disability sports. He examines both competitive and recreational sports to identify factors that help participants increase their social and health outcomes. He received degrees from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Appalachian State University, and Middle Tennessee State University. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Barfield. We're so glad you would join us for this really important conversation. Yes, thank you so much. Can you please share a little bit more about your background in health? How did you find your passion in this area? When I went to graduate school, I I started to study sport management and really enjoyed it and had always envisioned myself in the sport world. And when I got to graduate school, the kind of awareness of other things that are out there opened up. And so I looked into PhD programs that looked into health and health benefits and things like that. And it was just the right fit for me. And I absolutely loved it. You know, my first week of uh, my doctoral program, I knew that preventive health and health outcomes were by far more important to me personally. And, um, and that's where I wanted to, to push my focus. And I'm very fortunate that, you know, I was able to stumble across that opportunity. It's been great. So was there any particular experience or person that kind of led you into the field that you're studying now with student athletes or athletes with disabilities? I think two individuals uh, were very instrumental. When I got out of undergrad, I worked for a autism program and it was just to support me while I was doing uh, other work, part-time work in athletics, but it really exposed me to uh, populations that were unknown to me, you know, when I was, when I was a young person. It just gave me a great appreciation of what, what some people have to go through and what communities of people, because it's not just the person with autism that's, you know, dealing with those barriers it's it's their family members and and what happens when their family members pass away and you know there there are a lot of intricate parts uh when you're working in in the disability field that made a lasting impression on me and then one of my first doctoral uh, professors his name was steve hannigan downs and his background was in adapted physical activity and um, you know it just showed me a, a pathway of working with athletics and people with disabilities. And it was just, it was just the right fit. And um, my very first appointment in terms of being a faculty member, we actually had a sport program for people with disabilities in Alabama. Um, And so it was very unique opportunity. And I've just been very fortunate to be exposed to the opportunities in my, in my career. Can you tell us a little bit more about that program, for instance, in in Alabama or the impacts that you have seen as students, student athletes with disabilities have been able to participate in these community events? My first appointment was at Huntington College, which is in Montgomery, Alabama, and we ran a satellite program from a a much larger organization called Lakeshore Foundation. 
uh, and Lakeshore Foundation is a community program and sport performance program for people with disabilities. And what we did is we modeled or we ran one of their satellite programs for people from uh, about five to 21 with primary physical uh, impairments, physical disabilities. We made the playing field level or that model, the playing fields level. So everybody was in a manual wheelchair or a power chair. And even volunteers had to participate in a, in a manual wheelchair. So the opportunities were equitable. And so individuals learn how to play different sports. And I'll talk a little bit more about why that's so important for people with disabilities. Sport is highly related to disability acceptance. It's highly related to employment. It's highly related to quality of life. So instead of seeing sport as a, as a way to enhance health, it really is a way to, to enhance life because it's such an important social group you know, for people with disabilities who sometimes have very few other outlets uh, to engage in, in you know, some of the things that we take for granted in our everyday discussions with, with our work colleagues. So sport is just very impactful uh, to people with disabilities, and I had no idea how much when I took that first position. But as you're surrounded in that community and you learn of people's stories and, and how they got this job or how they learned to, you know, develop their transitioning skills from, you know, restroom to bedroom to dressing and things like that. It's amazing how much education takes place in the world of sport for people with disabilities. That is such an incredible story. I think this is why it's so important that we're having this conversation uh, in a way, particularly in collegiate sport. That's just kind of not thought about, I think, regularly. And you've published several research articles about those benefits and the barriers for the persons with disabilities competing in those competitive sports. What kinds of things have you learned from your research? In terms of, of benefits, I do think the social aspect of sport is, is essential. Another essential component or benefit of sport is the ability of parents and siblings to interact with people with disabilities, just like their other siblings. Parents are so proud of their kids and their accomplishments. And, you know, outside of athletics for people with disabilities, there are very few opportunities to accentuate your skill set or to be just like your brother without a spinal cord injury. So it's very important for family to be able to see one another as just another member of the family. Those are, those are huge benefits. Certainly learning uh, acceptance about your disability, learning where to get services. You know, because oddly enough, people with disabilities don't get a lot of information once they leave their primary position, right? So they're not getting information about opportunities and outreach from places where you think they might. So just having an, an educational community around them is, is so important. Also, the opportunity to achieve what you want out of your life. Sport is, a, is one of the few opportunities that people with severe physical disabilities have to do that. So it provides a lot of benefits certainly helps offset the chronic disease risk that is highly, highly uh, exacerbated in people with disabilities because the physical activity levels are typically so low, opportunities are far fewer to engage in physical activity. Access is, is far more restricted for people with disabilities. So chronic disease risk is much higher in people with disabilities and the ability to engage in sport is just an outlet to help people offset that risk. So there are a lot of important benefits and as you can imagine, barriers, you know, there are structural barriers. There's still social stigma around people with disabilities, under expectations, I guess I would say. 
I don't think people mean to condescend people with disabilities, but I think they're certainly under expectations and, oh, this person wouldn't want to do that because they're in a wheelchair or, you know, they have this cognitive impairment or whatever it is. So a lot of social barriers, uh, certainly a lot of physical and transportation barriers, especially when you look at public transportation. You know, there are very few uh, mobile devices to get people if they need support. I think that's why this is such an important conversation, uh, particularly with collegiate student athletes, that if you think about the support systems that are built around traditional collegiate sports and activities, they have those supports from from the institution, right, from the administration. And those support systems are actually happening with their own community and mouth to mouth, essentially, right? Like this is just passed from person to person. This is where they're getting their support. That's exactly as, right. As opposed yeah. to uh, from like an institutional support. That, that's exactly right. And so when you look at where we get information, people with disabilities, they get it from their small social group. And, you know, it is so essential to learn how to, okay, I've got a class here. How do I get to it? Because it's it's not accessible. You know, what what transportation do I need to have? Can I take a class in that building? What are these programs like? You know, it it really is a very intimate connection and where you learn so much information about your college experience can be through a sport team. And there are very few other social groups that provide that same type of enrichment and information and knowledge uh, to people with disabilities. So particularly on college campuses at a time when diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging are at the forefront of institutional change and drivers, what would you like athletic administrators to know about collegiate adaptive sports programs? Well, I think, number one, athletic programs can be impactful. They can be impactful in these students' lives, just like they're impactful in their current student-athletes. But the difference is, Varsity student athletes on a university campus typically have a lot of resources that if they stop participating in athletics, they're still going to be okay and they're still going to have a pathway to graduation. And the reality is for people with disability, probably only 25% of people with disabilities are employed. And it's probably an equal amount of individuals that start college with a disability finish. You know, you're talking 25%. So the ability to provide not an environment where you're graduating people with disabilities, you're providing them enriching opportunities. By far, I think athletic departments just don't know how impactful they can be in this particular population. And you talk about life changing. You see life changing in professional athletes. They go from college, they become professional athletes, and we see the the monetary change and we consider that life changing. But when you think about employment and family life and engagement in the community, you know, athletics at the college level is truly life-changing for people with disabilities. It's impactful. So I, I think that's, I think that's number one. And then number two, you know, there are so few organizations that serve college level students with disabilities. Athletics is one of the few organizations or entities that can really do a good job recruiting and serving those individuals and being an ambassador for their college to bring people to their institution. Those schools that prioritize athletics, University of Illinois, University of Alabama, Auburn, uh, University of Texas at Arlington, University of Arizona, Wisconsin Whitewater. I mean, there are very specific institutions that 
you know, raise the platform and, and they raise the profile for their institution because they are, you know, they're serving their mission. They're meeting the needs of people in their communities. And when you think about the number of people you have to have to play wheelchair basketball, well, you're not going to have a wheelchair basketball team at a school of 500 people, right? It's got to be larger institutions and those institutions that have the resources to then travel to Illinois or travel to Alabama or travel to Auburn. So athletic departments, I don't think recognize yet how powerful their ability is to, to serve these individuals. So you mentioned a number of very specific schools that are doing this well, that are bringing in and supporting the student athlete with disabilities. How do student athletes with disabilities know which schools to go to? Is that one of those community mouth-to-mouth things like, hey, we should all go to this school? It, it absolutely is. Um, because when you look at youth sport for people with disabilities, it's not like, um, it's not typically organized, you know, by community recreation departments. You know, you, you have to play based on population density. So I'm, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we have a wheelchair basketball team, a youth wheelchair basketball team. But when they compete, you know, they have to compete at tournaments. And so we had a tournament here last month with probably 30 some odd teams. You know, they came as far as from Los Angeles uh, because you're not just competing next door and you're not competing once a week. So when you do have the opportunity to compete, you've got to have a lot of teams there. You play everybody there. You know, there are teams from Alabama and Indiana and all over the place. So youth sport, they do have their own community and that's where they learn about these institutions and there are scholarships available for these students and recruitment of these students. I mean, it's becoming much more competitive and similar to what you see in in, um, able-bodied sport at at the college level in terms of recruitment. So identification of those schools is typically circled around the water cooler at those type of events. So with those particular schools, some of these groups, I'm assuming some of the, the teams are considered intramural or are they considered like outside clubs? They're not within the athletic department kind of structure. So there, there are very few schools that have teams within their competitive athletic structure. And I would, I would say fewer than 10 probably, but some of those schools do have it as part of their regular athletic unit. And so I, that's where I see the, the greatest benefit and the greatest resources and potential to serve individuals with disabilities. You know, once you get into intramurals and club sports, you get back to the population density question, and then those individuals don't have the ability to compete with anybody, right? Because the resources aren't the same in terms of travel and being in a conference with other with other institutions. So the, the intramural opportunities, in my experience, have been very minimal for people with disabilities. You know, club sports as well. It's, it's, it's very difficult not to have a, a large administrative unit to be able to provide these opportunities. So for administrators that may be listening to this podcast, what might you recommend to them to, to maybe start these conversations or maybe creating a better environment for their student athletes that, that are on campus now or recruiting or drawing in more, creating more centers for and opportunities for education for student athletes with disabilities? I think one of the best way uh, to, to look at expanding opportunities, especially through sport, is really coordinating or communicating with either your local grassroots team or teams that are already part of 
disability sport organization. Wheelchair basketball has a lot of teams. You know, Power Soccer Association in the United States has a lot of teams. Wheelchair rugby has a lot of teams. And so these are adults, they're post-college age, but I guarantee you they've got the insight to say, hey, this is how we can recruit people for this particular sport for this particular institution. Because it's, you know, it's really a two-part process. A, identifying that that school has an opportunity for those students, and B, making sure that school has the ability to host athletes with physical disabilities, right? Their school has to be accessible enough, even if, let's say, their facility or their recreation center is accessible, that doesn't mean their campus is. So it really does take some good collaboration with current teams who are currently in that region that are competitive. They're just not part of the college system. But it, it really takes some insight from those teams to say, hey, this is what you need to, to have a successful program. One of the things we often talk about with um, administrators, both athletic and, and academic, is partnerships with the community. And this seems like the ultimate way to be able to reach these students is the, the number one thing that they need to develop, those, those community relationships. Absolutely. And you can find those, administrators can find those through, you know, Google searches of the National Wheelchair Basketball Association, you know, U.S. Quad Rugby Association, and it'll tell you exactly where those teams are. And I guarantee you for, you know, most of the institutions in the country, you're close enough to a team that's, you know, that's playing on a regular basis that can give you insight on on how to get up and running because they really can't identify, hey, this is crucial. This is how you identify opponents. These are the type of rooms you have to have or locker rooms you have to have. So speaking of some of these uh, large national and international organizations, you've served as a classifier for FIPFA, which is the Federation International de Power Chair Football Association, the international governing, governing body that classifies athletes for power chair soccer competition. Can you share a little bit more about what that process is like and how that has influenced your research? So classification is, is part of the Paralympic uh, movement. Any sport that's a Paralympic sport has to be able to demonstrate that they're inclusive. What that means is it's not just the people with the most function and least amount of impairment who get to play, right? Because as you know, let's say you take 10 people with a spinal cord injury or 10 people with cerebral palsy. Well, they have different functional levels. Not everybody's the same. And so if you only allow the, let's say, top skill players to play, it's only going to be people with the least amount of impairment, right? And so everybody else who's functionally less is going to be excluded. So this system of classification is really to enhance inclusion of all athletes with disabilities to be able to compete together and equitably. And so what classification does, it says, okay, based on your function, here's your score, right? And so this is who you can compete against fairly in individual competition. Or if we're in a group competition like basketball, a team can field, let's say, 12 points. And if a player, they might be a three-point player or a two-point player or a 2.5 player, well, you can only have X number of points on the court. So even though you're ensuring that team points are the same, players' ability level will be different. And therefore, you're still recruiting and allowing and encouraging people to play with more severe disabilities. Right. So you're not you're not discriminating against everybody. So that's what classification does. It, it scores a player's function in any sport 
to say this is this is where you're equitable. This is this is how you can can compete. And so I do that internationally. And power chair football or soccer is played all over the world. Uh, the next World Cup is in Australia next year. As you can imagine, it, that sport serves people with a, a power wheelchair. That's why it's called power chair soccer. So it's people with the most severe uh, physical impairments. And again, classification is done just to make sure everybody can play regardless of their level of severity. That role in that process seems to be very important to the advancement of student athletes. And as you mentioned, the equity and the opportunities available. Yes. And I think that's, you know, it's something that the Paralympic movement is very committed to and has been. I mean, it's been a, an underlying tenant for a long time. And I mean, they've been at the forefront of inclusivity for, you know, since the 60s. I'm very proud of disability sport for doing that, making sure that everybody can compete and that it's that it's as fair as possible. With your own personal contribution to that, in 2017, you launched the nonprofit organization, I Am an Athlete. Can you share more about this organization and its mission? I did this mainly to encourage more people to study disability sport because there, there's a lot of research in able-bodied sport, but far less in disability sport. But as I shared earlier, I think it's, it's just as meaningful, if not more meaningful, than, than able-bodied sport to the, to the people it serves. My goal is, A, to encourage more research in this area. Um, but this organization funds primarily students, undergraduate and graduate students. And the thought process is that the, the more exposure people get, the more comfortable they become researching this field. And so hopefully the more likely they are to become researchers as a, as a professional uh, and study something in disability sport. So I think that it's just such a small research community uh, that examines disability sport. This is just my personal way and really my board's way of saying, hey, we think this is valuable and meaningful and, and we want to expose more people and we want to show the world that this, this work is important too. You mentioned that was your own personal experience, right? That you became, uh, you know, we're in proximity to, to these communities and you learned about them and it became your passion to be able to promote and, and support them. That's exactly right. It, you know, you're around people that, that you care about and that are meaningful. You know, you want to do something that's, that shows you value uh, what they do. This podcast is called Rebuilding the American Dream, the Student Athlete Experience. Based on your experiences, based on the work that you do, what does the American dream mean to you? I think of opportunity and dignity. And I, I think you can sum it up in a nutshell there. Um, I think the American dream has always promised opportunity. And, you know, we know it's not the same opportunity for everybody, but I certainly think the goal of what I do professionally is to provide opportunity to people, to enable uh, people to pursue what they want to do professionally, what they want to do personally, I think that's I think that's a priority. And then I think we need to do it with dignity um, because not everybody gets it. That's a wonderful answer. We've we've done 80 some odd podcasts, and that's the first time we've heard that mentioned. And I think that that's so significant. Um, one of the reasons why I think this conversation is so important to be had. Um, it's a different perspective and it's something that needs to be brought to the forefront of people's attention. So thank you so much for sharing that. 
And finally, the last question that we ask all of our guests is what advice would you give to young persons contemplating their futures in athletics? Well, with or without disabilities, I think you need to be your own advocate. A lot of people are involved in athletics, some good reasons, some bad reasons. And um, and there are just as many bad outcomes in sport as there are good outcomes. So I think always be your own advocate. You know, always make sure that you are being treated well and that you are pursuing the opportunity that you want. So I, I think that would be probably, you know, my last thing statement is, is make sure you're advocating for yourself. You know, don't let um, people lead you down the wrong road. You make sure you're, you're getting out of, of sport what you want. Dr. Barfield, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for bringing this attention to uh, this important topic. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me today. You've been listening to me, Karen Crossley of Degree Insurance, and this is Rebuilding the American Dream, the Student Athlete Experience. Find out more on our website, americandream.fm, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Degree Insurance. Until next time.